Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the teachings of the Bible, and tonight's lesson is on the book of 1 Peter. Um, his name was originally Simon, and he was one of the earliest followers of Jesus and part of the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. That when his confession to Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kapos. In Aramaic, that means the rock. Later, it was translated into Greek, which was Petros, in which we would say is Peter. You know, Jesus' promise to him was to become a, a leader amongst the apostles and to guide the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its early years. Um, a few weeks ago, we were talking about James, and Peter was the, the leader of that early church in Jerusalem, and when Peter was called out of Jerusalem, then James took up and took his leadership role. So in the early years, Peter was called to the Messianic Jewish community in Jerusalem, but then called out to go into other parts of the world. You know, and as he carried the good news beyond the borders of Israel, you know, he was writing this letter a couple decades into his mission as he was traveling through the Roman Empire that we discover at the conclusion of his letter that he is in Rome, which he calls Babylon. While we learn that Peter's commissioned to this letter, it was actually written by a man, Silvanus, who was a co-laborer with Peter. You know, it's most likely that Peter was illiterate, you know, that he was raised a fisherman. You know, that he wouldn't have gotten a proper education. He may not have been able to really read or write. So, you know, John Mark is also, um, commissioned and believed that, you know, that the gospel of Mark is actually really the gospel of Peter. Mark had just written it for Peter. So once again, we see, you know, there's this, you know, going on in these letters that potentially Peter didn't have the ability to really write. He was an uneducated man. You know, and in the Gospels it talks about, you know, those uneducated men must have been with Jesus. You know, because what they were doing, that they weren't trained, you know, priests. They weren't, you know, brought up, you know, in that ways of teachings that they would have been Pharisees. Most likely, you know, they would have been cast aside and they would have been sent back to their families, you know, to, to work as their fathers had worked. And knowing how to read and write was not, you know extremely important to that culture in the sense that if they're just carpenters and fishermen and shepherds, that they really didn't need the ability to really read or write. So it's potentially possible, you know, that, you know, we see, you know, Peter is, is you know, speaking these things and, and you know, Silvanus is scribing them and writing them down. But this letter was a circular letter, and that it was to travel through the multitude of churches in the communities of the Roman providence of Asia Minor. Asia Minor today would be known as Turkey. You know, and um, it's interesting, you know, several decades ago, you know, they stumbled across um, hidden cave systems in Turkey where Christians were hiding out, and that there was complete cities underneath the mountains that they didn't even know existed. And that, you know, you can see, you know, the the things written on the wall that you would see crosses and, and different things illustrated on the walls. And this is where the Christians were hiding out because persecution was so heavy and so high that they weren't safe. 
you know, it's interesting to look up and to study. Um, you know, you might be able to find it on the History Channel or Discovery Channel, you know, the, the hidden Christian cities in Turkey or Asia Minor, you know. So, you know, Peter has learned that these were mostly non-Jewish Christians, and they were heavily persecuted, facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. So Peter wrote this as an encouragement in the midst of their suffering, that they are chosen people by God, that they are exiled around the world. <clears throat> you know, Peter makes it clear that throughout the letter that these Christians he's writing to are Gentiles. Uh, Gentile is basically anyone that's not a Jew. So everybody in this room would be considered a Gentile, to my knowledge. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, basically the Jewish community basically believed everybody else wasn't worthy of God, but yet we see written in the Old Testament that Jews and Gentiles alike were going to come and worship God. You know, and the Jewish community didn't believe that necessarily. You know, that they were very, you know, strict on not compromising themselves. And, you know, and so when we read about Jesus going into Samaria, Samaria would have been, you know, a Jewish person that was mixed with some other person, whether it was Babylonian or Syrian. So then they had mixed blood and they would be considered less than, you know, just like in our culture, sometimes if somebody has mixed blood that they're considered less than, you know, you go to other places in the world, if somebody has mixed blood, they were considered less than, you know, and a lot of times, you know, that we put such high stock on our ethnicity that we put it above other people, that my ethnicity is better than other ethnicities. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about America and also kind of the sick thing about America is that sometimes we come here and we're all Americans, but sometimes we start to claim that we're an American, but I'm from somewhere else. So I'm an African-American or I'm a Puerto Rican-American or I'm, you know, a Nepali-American. You know, and I don't go around saying I'm an Irish-American. I just say that I'm American. You know, and when the racial tensions are high is when people get real hostile with each other. You know, we see it in this, in our culture today. You know, that all of a sudden, just a little spark can stir things because of racial tensions. And in my own opinion, it's not until we all call ourselves just Americans and put the racists behind us and realize that we're all of one tribe, you know, that we belong to Jesus. You know, and there's nothing wrong you know, I love, you know, you know, parts of my ethnicity and, and bagpipes and corned beef and cab, you know, like there's nothing wrong with liking where we're from. But when we put high stock in it and realize that I am part of the problem, that I am putting my race or my ethnicity above somebody else, you know, that that puts things in a very difficult position where. Sometimes, most times, there's a lot of hostility. You know, so it's important that we realize that, you know, that we all, you know, have, you know, different blood in us. You know, there's probably very few of us in this room that are 100% anything. You know, but yet, you know, our color of our skins and, and our heritages and our traditions, sometimes we elevate above the welfare of our brothers and sisters, and sometimes we look down upon people because of the way they look or where they're from. You know, and this was going around 2,000 years ago. This has been going on since, you know, who knows when. But it's been an issue because the human heart 
is is full of sin, you know, and we're full of pride, and we want to elevate ourselves above our neighbors, elevate ourselves, and use anything possible to say that I'm better than someone else, you know. And what Peter is is attempting, you know, is to try to bring everyone together, because Jews, even in that time, even if they would have been a Jewish Christian. They would have looked down upon Gentile Christians because they were the one true blood or they were the one true nation. And that's why a lot of times in the things that we've been talking about in the past is that, you know, well, that's great. You got Jesus, but now you need to follow the laws of Moses. and You need to eat, you know, certain foods and you need to get circumcised and you need to follow the law. And Paul was constantly addressing this and like you're missing it completely is all we need is Jesus. You know, and so often in religion, we put traditions and what we believe above our relationship with Jesus. You know, and that's why so many people in this world have such a hard time with Christianity. It's because we're obnoxious and, you know, and we're judgmental, you know, and we cause fights over things that, you know, honestly, I don't think Jesus would ever cause a fight over, you know, that that we put things, we elevate things to this high standard that we don't even, you know, live up to. And that's why the world sees us as hypocrites, is because we expect the world to live with this deep, intimate, personal relationship and knowledge of the Word, and yet we aren't. You know, so there's a lot of times that we get into heated discussions with people about God, and, you know, a lot of times that we're in the wrong. You know, a lot of times that we're in the wrong... Because we should be learning how to love people, not argue with them. You know, but as Peter is trying to weave this thing together, you know, he is describing them, these Gentile Christians, with phrases out of the Old Testament that describe how God's chosen people of Israel, the family of Abraham, who who himself was an exile and a wanderer, you know, that this is strategic, as Peter is trying to repeat through this letter, that they are part of the Abrahamic community, you know, because of, you know, what Jesus has done. So, you know, as Abraham wandered through, he did not have a home. He was just kind of wandering around and doing what God was telling him to do. He's telling them to trust in God, trust in Jesus, and believe in what he is, is calling you to that he wants these suffering non-Jewish Christians to see that through Jesus, they now belong to the family of Abraham. So as they are wandering exiles, they are just like the father of our faith. You know, so he's he's grafting them in. He's pulling them in. That You know, whether they're a Gentile or Jew or wherever they're from, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is superior than wherever we've come from and whatever we used to believe. And I believe that that's true today. You know, so often, you know, that they say that the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning because everybody gravitates to their own ethnicity types of churches. You know, and I think that, you know, there's churches out there that are trying to, to do a better job in this. You know, and I think Redeemer is doing the best that they can. <clears throat> you know, that there's a multitude of different ethnicities on a Sunday morning and we're sitting and worshiping the same God. You know, however, I do believe that it could be better. You know, but there's just this 
you know, issue with the color of our skins. And there's this issue of where we came from, you know, and what we, you know, you know, call ourselves, you know, and it's, I think that it's important that, that Peter's trying to tear down this stigma and let them know that they are part of the bigger picture and they're part of Abraham's kids through what Christ has done. You know, and that this is, you know, misunderstood, you know, and, you know, he's looking for a way, you know, that to show them that they're on the same journey as everyone else. They're, they're on the journey to the promised land. You know, and Peter is praising God for these people who are born again and that they have this living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Spirit, that God is inviting people into this new family that's centered in Christ alone. You know, and I believe that to be true for us. I mean, we look around the room and we got a bunch of different color faces and we got a bunch of different ethnicities and we got a bunch of different, you know, pasts. You know, some of them are really colorful and some of them are really dark. You know, and yet here we are trying to figure out Jesus together and that we are becoming, you know, God's family. You know, and as we we look past the stigma of what the culture would say, and we look to the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're united, that we're a family together. You know, and he's asking them to, to find this new identity in their family. He's asking them to find their new identity in God's beloved children. That they have a new hope for this world because they're reborn into God's love when Jesus returns as the king. You know, people that have this hope that suffering and persecution actually is this strange gift. You know, that no one likes to suffer. You know, and, you know, I've struggled with these types of verses, you know, in my walk. And really, just every time that I get to one of these, you know, rejoice in your suffering types of messages, honestly, it just makes me more pissed off. But as I, you know, have prayed and prayed and prayed and tried to say, God, I don't get it. I just don't get it. How do you rejoice in your suffering? You know, that he eventually led to me to, I believe, an answer through Romans 5. You know, it says we rejoice in our suffering. You know, because it, it teaches us to persevere. It builds our character. You know, and then we find our hope in the expected return of Jesus. You know, as we suffer, we pray more, don't we? You know, any time that we're going through something difficult, all of a sudden we're throwing up some Hail Marys. You know, here, catch that, Jesus. You know, like, and when things are going good, we pray a little bit less. Like, I got this. Things are good. And all of a sudden, something bad happens. You're like, God, calm down. You know, so I think that it's his way of keeping us into deep relationship. You know, and I think that it's his way that he helps us to grow and to persevere. You know, I think that one of the major issues that most of us have in this room is that we're runners. Anytime that something difficult happens, peace, bah, Felicia, and I'm out. You know, I'm putting my track shoes on and I'm in a different state before you know it. You know what I mean? That, you know, a lot of us try to huff and puff and act like we're tough, but in all reality, we will take off in a second. You know, and I think that God's trying to, to pull us in and say, I gotta teach you how to endure. I gotta teach you how to push through. I gotta teach you. And the only way I can do that is putting difficult things in your path and you have to learn to trust me even in the difficulty. 
you know, and there's a lot of, you know, similarities and metaphors that God uses. And, and I believe that the one that God gave me for this is that, you know, we can go to church, but that doesn't mean we have Jesus. Right? And we can go to the gym, but that doesn't mean that I'm healthy. You know, I can go to the gym and stare at the weights and say, I went to the gym today. You know, and put it on Facebook and put it on Instagram and stand next to it and take a picture and be like, look, I was at the gym today. But if I don't push on something and get some resistance, I don't get stronger. You know, and there's things in this world that God puts in our path that we have to push against that helps us to grow and become stronger in Christ. Because we realize that this door is not moving unless Jesus opens it. This wall is not coming down unless Jesus brings this wall down. But that doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to stand at it and knock until he begins to open these things up. You know, and it's important that we're hearing his voice because some of us are banging on doors that we need to be walking away from. So, you know, there needs to be discernment and wisdom in this, you know, as well. Like, it's not a cut and dry, this is the way it always works. But I, I think that it's important, you know, that suffering, that our mindset gets switched. Because so often, you know, that when we suffer, we think that God is punishing us. Or when we suffer, we think the devil is attacking us. You know, and, you know, I've heard, you know, bad theology come out of a lot of people throughout my years. You know, that any time that anything bad happens, oh, the devil made me do it, or the devil is doing this, or the devil is doing that. Now, don't get me wrong, the devil is up to something. But I don't need the devil's help to screw my life up. I am very good at it. You know, and so often we want a scapegoat. We want to blame the enemy for my own bad decisions. You know, and it's important that we get this in, you know, you know, this realistic view of what's really going on. You know, so many of us, why did God leave the devil down here to torture us? Well, we're looking at it backwards. The greatest thing that he could do the enemy is taking a created person and giving them more authority than an archangel. And then it's our job to chase him around. Because the authority is in Christ. The, the name of Jesus is above every other name. You know, and, and that means that we can stand toe-to-toe with dark forces and say, not today. You know, I rebuke you, Satan, get behind me. But not everything that's going on in our life is Satan. Some of us is our own foolish decisions. You know, and we need to, to understand that there's a balance in here. That I need to be accountable in my actions. Otherwise, I can't repent. And if I'm blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming, that means that it's always somebody else's fault. I can't be accountable to my own stuff, and therefore I can't have freedom in Christ. You know, so first of all, I need to own my stuff and get closer to Jesus, and then he'll start revealing the areas that the devil might have an inroad to me so I can stop it. But for me, I've, I've learned a few things along the way. You know, and uh, I've watched people, you know, get out their rebuker and call down strongholds and, you know, go to war in the spirit after the devil. And I don't see Jesus doing that at all. There's not one time that Jesus did that. And if Jesus is the model of what we are to become, that we are to be Christ-like, what did Jesus do when the enemy came? He said, it is written. 
and he walked in peace. So peace is our greatest weapon of warfare. And if something's stealing our peace, is it my own stupid decision, my own foolish action, or do I have a door that's open to something that needs to get shot? You know, and the wisdom and the word helps us to walk with peace, which is the greatest weapon of warfare, because if the enemy can't stir us up in our emotions, he has no ability to get us to do things that we say we don't want to do anymore. So it's important that we realize that there is a balance. <coughs> you know, there's always a balance. You know, nothing is just cut and dry. <coughs> but the more that we realize that persecution and suffering sometimes is to get us to wake up spiritually, you know, that none of us got sober when everything was going great. None of us decided that today's the day that I'm going to try to figure out Jesus when everything was going great. It's always when difficult things and painful things and crazy things and scary things took place that says something has to change. You know, and the more that we realize that God sometimes puts these things in our path to get us to realize that something has to change. Then in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And he says, I've sent you this painful thing and I'm not sorry. What if the pain in our life, God's not sorry for it? God's actually the one that orchestrated that painful thing. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, yet, but if we look into Scripture, it says he afflicts the ones he loves. Why does he afflict us? To get us to let go of painful things and sinful things. And Paul goes on to write, that I sent this and I'm not sorry, because it made you turn from your sinful ways to your salvation. You know, and I remember the first time that I read that, you know, Jesus in his lovely rhema words, as he jumps off the page and he flashes things, it flashed me over all these times that Christians came along my path throughout my life and were telling me about Jesus, and I was like, get the hell away from me. You know, and I went on to do more destructive and more painful things. You know, every one of us has some of those stories that I didn't want to listen. I wanted to do it my way. I know better. I'm prideful. I'm arrogant. I don't need anybody's help. And more and more pain began to come. You know, the first time that some of the areas in our life got painful and we actually stopped doing it, we would have been teenagers. But no, we were in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s before we decided to stop some of these things because I want what I want and I'm going to get what I want. You know, and we have to realize that sometimes that the difficulties and the painful things that are happening when we can say that this is a sinful action or, you know, I'm opening up doors that I shouldn't open up, it's to get us to realize that that way of life is not profitable. You know, and as we surrender to Jesus and say, I'm ready to do it your way, you know, that he begins to guide us through this thing called life and in a grace that comes from only him. You know, that these things are a gift when we look at it correctly. You know, that when we get into persecution or we get into trial, it's like this fire that begins to purify us. It begins to burn away all our false hope in things. You know, how many of us have had our hope in a relationship that went bad? You know, how many times do we have our hope in the money or a job? You know, how many times that if I get this new car, then I'll be happy. Or I get this puppy, I'll be happy. I get this house and I'll be happy. I get, I get, I get something and I'll be happy. And then we somehow obtain it. 
and we're still empty. You know, and that difficulty comes sometimes when we open certain doors to certain things. You know, and that he's he's putting us in this place that we let go of our distractions. You know, what's distracting in our life right now from Jesus? What becomes something that's, you know, if this would just happen my way, then I can be happy. You know, and that's something that I'm elevating to a place higher than Jesus. You know, would I openly say that I'm doing that? No, I believe in God. But yet, Jesus somehow isn't able to satisfy me this thing or this person or this event or this circumstance. If it would just go my way, then I could have peace. Then I could be happy. Then I can move forward. You know, and a lot of times, Jesus is, is making certain things difficult for us. So we see that the only thing that's going to get us through this thing called life is Him. You know, so He's moving and purifying us. You know, and reminding us that our one true love and hope is in Christ alone. You know, this is a paradox. You know, life's hardships are actually to deepen our faith, to make us more genuine. You know, that every one of us has trials in our life. Every one of us goes through difficulties. You know, and I've learned along the way that either I'm going to choose Jesus or I'm going to run from Jesus. There really isn't, you know, a middle ground. You know, that if if Jesus is what I want, I'll push through whatever it is. If Jesus isn't actually what I want, and when difficult things happen, I'll chase what I want. You know, I've watched more people walk away from this ministry because of sexual relationships than I ever have drugs and alcohol. Because we put our sexual desires above the Word of God, which tells me that I'm not even a believer if I put sex before Jesus. Ooh, uh, Tom, what are you doing? That's I didn't write it. I just try to live it. And I'm not perfect. You know, I have to renew my mind regularly in the Word of God. You know, that I've learned that, yeah, drugs and alcohol are bad, but when I fornicate or if I open up doors sinfully, that it opens me up to all this depression, all this pain, all this anxiety, all this craziness that I'm saying that I want freedom from. And it's like, Jesus, I want you, but I want to pull this with me. And sometimes we have to choose what we want more. You know, and it's important that we realize that sometimes the things that we want, there's suffering attached to it that's unhealthy. And we have to then decide, am I going to allow Jesus to refine me as he wants to, or if I'm going to try to manipulate Jesus in Tom's name to get my will accomplished? You know, and how many times have we prayed our own will to be accomplished and we just stamp Jesus' name on it? And that makes it completely okay. But yet when we get into the Word, he's like, uh, I don't think that that's what you should be doing. You know, and we, we take scriptures out of context. Well, he gives you the desires of your heart if you play in the name of Jesus. Well, true, but if my desire is sinful, Jesus' name is not going to bring that, you know what I mean, that I pray in the name of Jesus and the desires of my heart are given to me when my desires of my heart is actually Jesus. You know, and, you know, and that hasn't always been the case for me. You know, I've gotten skewed and I've gotten out of context and I've gotten my own desires and, and I'm like, well, God, just give me this thing. And I'm getting bitter and I'm frustrated. And it's like, why aren't you? And you're doing this for other people. It's because my eyes aren't on Jesus. It's on people and stuff. You know, so 
the waters get a little troubled sometimes to help me to realize that I need to let go of something. Now, either I'm going to let go of Jesus and pursue what I want, I'm going to let go of what I want and pursue Jesus. But is that what I really want? See, I think that difficulties and troubles and persecution and, and these types of things is this refining fire in each and every one of our, of our lives that are helping us to see that you could give us everything that we want and it still wouldn't satisfy us. You know, if in some way that we could pray some crazy prayer and every one of us wins the lottery tomorrow and we wake up tomorrow mega millionaires and we can literally buy whatever we want and we can get whatever we want, we're still not going to be satisfied. There's still going to be something missing in our lives. Now, we will have a bunch of cool stuff. And I bet you half of this room is doing a bunch of things that they said they wouldn't do here Friday night. But tomorrow we're doing them. Why? Because i got a million dollars to blow. You know, in all reality, who knows what would happen? You know, I'm going to donate it all to the church. Okay. You know what I mean? Let's get realistic. You know, I'm going to buy some cool stuff for Tom. Tom's going to have a brand new truck. I guarantee you that. And we're going to be looking for a new motorcycle. And Jesus, I'll give you maybe five, 10%. You want 10? That's a lot of money. It was free money. But still, it's a lot of money. Why? He's pulling on my heart when money is the thing I desire the most. You know, So he always sets us up to show us what's really going on inside. You know, And I think that he wants us to be honest. He wants us to be genuine. You know, So he uses these things to bring clarity into our worlds, bring clarity into our eyes, that we can bear witness of God's mercy as we walk through difficult times. Because, you know, whether we're in our workplace, in our families, the things that we're going through now, some of the things that some of you are going through now, and some of your friends and family know what you're going through, that if Jesus does not show up in that situation, it's going to get crazy. And I've also watched how some of you have been on the other side of that, and you've created the craziness, and then Jesus became the focus, and Jesus began to restore the very thing that you almost lost. You know, and I believe that we do that. We each have those things that we've we screwed up. And guess what? That's where God's grace comes in. You know, not a one of us is perfect in this room, and, and <laughs> especially me. You know, but I, I think that, you know, these types of events encourage us. That when we see, you know, a marriage that's on the verge of divorce, and then all of a sudden Jesus becomes the focus, at least of one of the spouses, all of a sudden the prayer gets prayed more and more and more, and all of a sudden you see that thing begin to shift in a way that no human power can do. You know, you see things that are on the, 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 the brink of falling apart financially, and all of a sudden you say, no God, you know, help me, you know, open up the door, help me to find a new job, help me this, help me this. And all of a sudden, things begin to shift in a way that we could not do on our own strength. You know, so, you know, Peter's first, he's encouraging them to submit to God and to Roman rule, even though that it's completely crazy for them to, to follow the Romans. You know, that there's times that we're in oppressive situations. But if we handle it the way Jesus wants us to handle it, that we walk through with a peace, that oppression that has been killing us all of a sudden becomes less. You know, and he's acknowledging their suffering, you know, and he's he's telling them that to re, to resolve these situations that you're in violently does not bring around the solution that you desire. 
you know, how many times have we got in at least a, a verbal fight and all of a sudden our situation is completely worse? And the married men laugh. <laughs> you know, and how many times have we said something and that we can't get it back? It's like throwing a stone. You know, and that some of us that have severe anger issues and and fighting issues, that how many times have we ever been in a physical altercation and it brought around something better? Rarely. Rarely. You know, it, it's caused more problems. More and more problems. You know, so he's he's telling them not to resist the persecution. You know, you know, and he's he's going on to say that, that it betrays the teaching of Jesus when you you know act out against the Greeks and the Roman violently. That Jesus told us to love our enemies. You know, you know, and it's hard. You know, our human nature is to fight back. You know, our human nature is to go after what we want. You know, and I think that that's why Jesus, and one of the first things he says is, "Follow me and deny yourself." You know, and denying ourselves is not natural. You know, that we have this self-preservation that's, you know, ingrained in the way we think and what we do. And Jesus is saying, my way is different. My way is completely different. You know, so he's, he's trying to show them that their liberation, their freedom comes by Jesus. You know, and they dem- demonstrate that freedom by not rebelling or, you know, but by resisting evil, do not repay evil with evil. You know, in the same way that Jesus did, that he showed his enemies love and generosity. And the last thing that Jesus said is forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Now, if I was on the cross and in that situation, I'd be like, kill them all. You know, like, you know and Jesus said, I could come off this you know, cross with legions of angels. That would have been a way cooler story. You know, Jesus just sort of wiping everybody out. Like, yeah. You know, but no, there was something greater that he was doing as he, you know, gave his life up. He laid it down. They didn't take it from him. Even though they literally murdered him, he willingly chose it. So as he laid down his life, you know, as there's situations in art, you know, that we're going through right now that we want what we want. But the real answer is the opposite. You know, and we have to pray about those things. You know, as we, you know, try to figure out Jesus and we try to build this relationship with Jesus, more and more what he's asking us to do is the complete opposite of what we think is right. You know, and as we start to understand kingdom principles, that Jesus' kingdom is upside down. That one of the last things that Jesus did was wash his disciples' feet. You know, he's a king. Kings don't wash anybody's feet. Yet he was a servant king. You know, and he's calling us to serve. He's calling us to to lay our lives down. He's calling us to serve our families. You know, serve the neighborhood. Serve the community. Serve the local church. Serve. You know, what is your service? I don't know. You know, I'm not up here to tell you what you're to do. I'm, I'm up here encouraging you to talk to Jesus and let him guide you where you're supposed to go. But any time that we want what we want, we're enforcing our own kingdom, and it goes against what he's saying, and deny yourself and follow me. You know, be generous, be loving, be kind, be forgiving, be serving. 
you know, and, you know, as Jesus did these things, he showed people that his ways were completely different. That when we live the way that Jesus is asking us to live, that we not only gain his power to be able to do those things, but it's through that power that our words or his word, you know, begins to bear witness of God's good mercy. You know, and that we show people these beautiful truths that are truly the ways of Jesus. You know, I remember very clearly when I first got saved and I actually started reading the Bible. You know, and I went to Pastor Mike with the Bible. I'm like, do Christians read this thing? I've never seen Christians live the way Jesus is asking them to live. And he laughed. And I was like dead serious. Like, what's wrong with you people? You know, and in all honesty, we're all hypocrites. I'm the biggest hypocrite I know. And you're the biggest hypocrite you know. Because I expect other people to live up to a standard that I'm not willing to live myself. So what do I need? I need to lay down my life and trust that Jesus' path for me is the best path for me. You know, and more and more I am convinced that my ways to do a thing will destroy everything that I touch. You know, and I've been doing this a minute, but if I try to force Tom's will on any occasion, <laughs> it's going to get ugly. For me and whoever else is part of that process, that, that ship is sinking. I'm convinced. And somehow, I keep surrendering. I do the best of my ability to follow him to the best of my ability, being a sinner and make, making mistakes and saying, Jesus, we got to do this your way. you got to really help me because I'm going to mess some stuff up. You know, here we go, Jesus. He continues to build things with a bunch of broken people. You know, it, it still, it baffles me. Like, I don't know, you guys, maybe you get it, maybe you don't get it. But like, I'm a pastor. That is crazy to me. And above that, I'm an executive director to a non-for-profit. Like, what? Who came up with this idea? It certainly wasn't me. Like, I didn't wake up one day and be like, yeah, I'm going to start a non-for-profit and help people with no money. This is going to be a great idea. You know, he decided, like, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, uh, really? I don't, I don't really think I want to do this. And I resisted him for years. It's like, I'm kind of doing it, but, you know, this would be way better. Like, if you just give me what I want, then I would be happy. I don't know about you. It's all about me, right? And Jesus is constantly saying, watch what I can do. Each one of us has this type of story built into us. I don't think that he's a, you know, he's not a respecter of persons in the sense that, you know, I believe that he can do miraculous things with each and every one of us, but we have to do it his way. That any time that I decide to take my will back in the midst of any of this, we're going for a ride. And it won't be pretty. You know, and, and we're learning. We're learning that his ways are better, and we fight him constantly. You know, but the more and more that we lay it down, the more and more that we learn to trust him, the more and more that we try to say, oh, I really hate this, but here we go. You know, how many times have we heard God's voice, and he's saying, do this or don't do that, and we're like, no, 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 not doing that. You're doing it my way. And then we resist him and resist him and resist him and resist him, and it gets harder and it gets harder and it gets harder and it's harder and then we finally get to that place where we're so frustrated like all right i'll do it your way but it's not going to work 
and then we do it his way and it works. Damn it. Why can't it just, oh, I just want my way once. But why do we want our own way so bad? Have we not been the person that is guilty of destroying our lives worse than any other person? There's nobody that's ruined my life better than me. I can blame my mom. I can blame my dad. I can blame the government. I can blame, I can blame, I can blame. But in all honesty, I'm the one that continues to do screwed up stuff in my own life that I'm like, this is going to be a bad idea. Whee! Here we go. But when we, we start to gain power from Him, and we start to realize that I can boast in my weaknesses because He's glorified and shown strong. And so often, I've been taught as a little kid, you got to act tough, don't cry, don't, you're a man. You know, and it's like, all the ways that this world has taught me to live have done, have done nothing but bring me more pain. And as I, I be vulnerable and I be loving and I be generous, you know, all of a sudden God starts to do these things in my life that I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know, I don't know how many times I've laid down my head at the end of the night with tears in my eyes thanking Jesus that he gave me the opportunity to do whatever happened that day. That you chose me. You chose me out of this entire planet to be in the position to bless that person today. And every one of us has that same opportunity every day. That we choose our will or we choose his will and he will constantly put us in positions to bless those people around us. Because his kingdom's upside down. But if I chase after what I want, I never seem like it's enough. You know, and the more and more that we realize that his kingdom is upside down, he begins to show us that there's these beautiful truths. You know, that Peter is a realist, though. You know, he knows that Christians will continue to be persecuted, even though he reminds them that their vindication is in Jesus. Even if you're unfairly treated and you're persecuted. You know, Jesus was murdered by the corrupt human powers. But in all reality, when he laid down his life for the sins of his enemy, you know, if you read in the text that one of the centurion Roman soldiers that actually nailed him to the cross, when Jesus died and everything broke loose, you know, the moon's raising red and the sky turns black and there's an earthquake, he's like, I think we did something wrong. He repents of his actions there on the moment. In the moment, in his repentance. You know, we don't see where God takes him after that. But he's like, forgive me. And forgiveness came. The epitome of what Jesus did is to forgive sinners. You know, and as he's teaching us to love people, love our enemies, that afterwards, that you know, we become vindicated by this resurrection as well because His Spirit gets inside of us and now Jesus gets exalted as the King over all human and all spiritual powers. You know, that, that Peter goes on to say that baptism points to this vindication, that as followers of Jesus are baptized, that like Noah, that we're saved through the water. You know, that it, it's not just this check the box I got baptized. That it's a, a conscious choice that I am choosing, that I am denying myself, and I'm ready to follow Jesus. 
you know, that it's the death and the burial. You go under the water, and then you come out of the water as a resurrection of a new life in Christ. You know, and that he's using this as a symbol, that it's not some magic ritual that all of a sudden you get poof, you're better. But it's a sacred symbol to show that there's change in our heart, that our desire to join Jesus in his death and resurrection. You know, so eventually, even if we are murdered, that following Jesus, that our future hope and vindication, his exaltation is with Christ alone. You know, Jesus' his words, Peter recalls them. You know, that he asked his disciples that they should consider it an honor and a joy to be persecuted. Just like Jesus. You know, Peter's calling on the church leaders to care for those that are suffering and to show them the same kindness that Jesus showed them as a servant leader. That Jesus did for his followers constantly, over and over and over again. He served them. He fed them. Finally, Peter reminds them that our real enemy that we are facing, that this hostility, you know, whether it's the culture or political that there's dark forces. There are spiritual evils in this work, in this world that are at work. You know, in spite of the hatred and the violence that we are to resist the enemy and that staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings, that we're anticipating his return, which is the ultimate victory over all evil. That Peter, Peter, <clears throat> you know, prays for the divine strength that only God can give us. You know, as we, you know, are really planting the church in Babylon. You know, Rome in that day was Babylon to them. America, you know, is Babylon today. You know, the sins that are available to us on an everyday basis far surpass Babylon and Rome completely put together and, and then multiplied. And yet, strategically, he's planted each and every one of us in the worst place in the world to be a blessing, to be a light into darkness. Now, we are extremely blessed in the sense that we're not persecuted, that we can sit here in a church in America and, and no one's coming through that door with guns and machetes coming after us. But that's not the case in some places in this world. That if you openly said that I'm a Christian, you're basically saying that I'm ready to die, and they'll certainly kill you. You know, and that you'll be beheaded or stoned or shot because you say that you believe in Jesus. You know, so, you know, as much as there is craziness around us on a regular basis, that we have the benefit to stand up for what we believe boldly. You know, in, you know, and God's people are now that we're, even though we are exiled from our true home, and our true home isn't in this place. Our true home is in heaven. And when we live that way, that no matter what we go through today, that one day we're, we're moving out of this joint. You know, that we, we leave, we live this life and we leave this life behind us for eternity with Him. You know, and honestly, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. You know, I don't know what eternity looks like. I have no concept. To what being in God's presence for eternity would even be. Like, 
that's like an awesome level, awesome level, awesome that I don't have a comprehension to. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's where we're headed. So when we go through persecution or we go through trials in this life, but we handle it his way, we're, we're moving closer to where we're headed. When we handle it our way, we're saying, Jesus, I, I realize that you got this good thing in mind, but this life now is more important than that life then. And it's hard. I'm not saying that this is easy. But I believe that when we honor Christ in our day-to-day lives and we try to, to live to our best ability to follow him and we'll screw up every day. Every one of us in this room sinned today. Whether we said something, did something, thought something, we're sinners. You know, and we need Jesus. And thank God that his mercy is new every morning and his grace is sufficient. Because if it was built up on our ability to be awesome, we're screwed. But yet it's his ability that we boast in this weakness that we can be glorified, glorifying him. And that his strength comes into our vulnerability, into our brokenness, and he gives us strength to overcome. You know, this letter is a powerful reminder that we find hope in Christ in the midst of whatever suffering that we're going through. That as God's people, that we're misunderstood. You know, that we get attacked. You know, that we're a minority. You know, in this crazy thing called life. But it's been the same since the very beginning. You know, and we should expect hostility. You know, that you say that you're a Christian at your workplace, there's going to be somebody that isn't happy that you said that. You know, you bring up Jesus in an AA meeting, you bring up Jesus in some of your family, you bring up Jesus in your neighborhood, there's going to be people that are quick to be like, ah. And you know what? We can walk through that with a grace, that I don't have to meet their hostility with hostility. You know, and I realize that their hostility isn't against me, it's the one who lives in me. That you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting Jesus. You're not hostile to me, you're hostile to Jesus. It's not my truth. I didn't write the book. So when they're attacking me, they're really attacking him, and I can just kind of let that slide out of the way for a minute and let them attack him, and I'm just standing in the middle and like, I didn't make it up. Like, I didn't make up the words. Like, I'm just choosing to live by it, and it's changed my life. You don't have to. I'm not trying to, to beat you in the head with this book. I promise you. You know, it's important that we realize that that we live under a different king. We live under a different kingdom. But even though we have different presidents every couple of years and we have different governors, that even though we live in New York State and even though that, you know, there's different persecutions that wherever you go in this world and, and people don't agree with what we believe in, we see that there's a truth in it that's guiding us. You know, and then the more we grow in our understanding, the more we, we get into our word, our mind begins to be renewed on the way we think about things. There are certain things that I used to think that I don't think anymore. I'm like, that's wrong. You know, and I'm like, I didn't care about that. And now I do. Why? Because Jesus has moved in my heart. You know, and as we follow Jesus, that we start to realize that that it doesn't matter what this world throws at us, that he's better. It doesn't matter what we go through. 
that being close to Jesus is more important. You know, and to me, that's the fear of the Lord that begins our wisdom. Is that if I open up the door to certain things that He set me free of, that I don't necessarily, Jesus didn't, I didn't lose Him. But because of His holiness, He's got to step back. You know, because I'm allowing sin in my life in certain areas, that He's still right there making sure that I'm convicted of that thing. Don't get me wrong. But being in His presence, is different. You know, and I think that some of us struggle sometimes because we have certain sin areas that are opened up and it's hard to get into his presence. So then it's going through the motions of church. You're like, this sucks. I don't like this. You're right. It does. Stop doing that other thing. And guess what? He's right there available all over again. So I just want to pause here tonight as we finish. You know, and I just want you to reflect. What areas of persecution or trials that you're going through that are of your own making? And then ask Jesus to forgive you and ask Jesus to help you to change it. Because that's the only thing that can. That I can't change myself. I've tried. I do a horrible job at it. But when I keep pressing into Jesus and I get closer to Jesus and I get closer to Jesus and I get closer to Jesus and I live the way that his words tell me to live and I get closer to Jesus, all of a sudden those things that I haven't been able to change about myself begin to fade away. Because I have something so much superior now in my life than whatever that sin was. So just take a second and ask him into certain areas of your life. You know, if there's other areas that are, you know, it feels like you're being attacked and you can honestly say that I don't have a part of this, then sure, ask Jesus to protect you from the enemy. But I think first and foremost, we have to, to get right with God. And, and realize that some of our own actions are bringing on some of this pain. Lord, we just thank you so much that your your mercy is new every day, that your grace is sufficient, Lord. And I pray that you'd meet us. You'd meet us in some of these areas that we're struggling in and you know that we're causing some of our own trials. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and I pray that your your grace would be sufficient enough that your love for us would begin to pull us out of you know these areas that are, are causing us pain. Lord, help us to truly repent and, and change what we're doing and, and follow you. Lord, and I pray that if there is any area that the enemy is and he's trying to roar like a lion or looking for whom he can devour, Lord, I, I pray that we would get close to you get close to our brothers in Christ, that we wouldn't stand on the edge and see how close we can get to sin and and try to resist it, that we would step back from it as much as we can and say, I don't have the strength to fight that fight. And Lord, as we get closer to you, look, the enemy realizes that he can't get us, that we're growing in our understanding of who we are in Christ. His old tactics don't work as easily on us because we're getting wise to them. So, Lord, I pray for your wisdom in our situations, Lord, but I I pray that there's a true heart change in each and every one of us, that we would truly lay these things down at your feet and say, I'm done, Lord. I'm ready to change. Lord, I thank you so much that you forgive us. Help us to keep fighting this fight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.